We're currently in a preaching series entitled The Gospel, um, and our heart as a church is that the gospel will be central uh, to who we are. Our vision as a church is for people to come in, find Jesus, go out, tell others. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and we want to be a church that is affected by this good news. Uh, So far, we've looked at the gospel as a plan, an achievement in history, uh, a free offer applied to our lives, an end to bring us near to God. I hope I've got those right. If not, I might not have been listening. Uh, This week, we're looking at I'm Not Ashamed of the Gospel, uh, from Romans 1, verses 16 to 17. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles uh, to that, that would be great. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it was written, the righteous shall live by faith. So I just want to pray a moment. Lord, I want to thank you for the gospel. Lord, I want to thank you for the good news that we have in front of us. Lord, I pray that you would bring it afresh to us. Lord, I I don't want to grow tired of hearing the gospel, but instead I want to be more affected by the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us this morning. Amen. Amen. Um, As I approached this sermon, um, I felt it was important for us to first look at what it means to be ashamed so that we can understand why we're not to be ashamed. So I thought this picture would help us all with that. Uh, There were various pictures, and that was the one that Fleur chose. Um, Dictionary.com defines ashamed as the following. Uh, The first way it describes it is embarrassed or feeling guilt because of something one has done or a characteristic one has. And then the second definition is reluctant to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. Uh, So, for example, I'm not ashamed to be seen with them. Or in my case, I'm ashamed to be... No. (laughs) The thesaurus likens it with terms like crestfallen, conscience-stricken, or humiliated. So it seems to be quite a uh, deeply emotive term. We're embarrassed of something we have done or are connected with, and we try to hide it up. It causes us to feel negative about ourselves and to hide from others. Even as I'm speaking, you're probably uh, thinking of some of the things that you've been ashamed of in your life. Um, This is not my intention to make it a guilt trip, uh, but I think we all feel them as we start to think of what shame is. Just to help you with this, uh, some of my personal examples. Uh, When I was living in Coventry, um, I was quite well known for putting my foot in it. Um, I did this so frequently that my best man actually made a public apology for me in his best man speech. Uh, He said the following about me. Um, If Rupert offends you, it is likely that he isn't doing this intentionally, but it's because he hasn't thought through what he's saying. Um, So I just want to apologize myself about doing that. Uh, If I ever uh, do something like that, please do forgive me. It's just that I don't engage the mind when I'm speaking. Uh, So that's why I'm terrible with these sermons as well. So I thought I'd give you one of my highlights just to show you how bad this has gone in the past. Um, Obviously, we're coming up uh, to having freshers with us uh, here at at Gateway. Uh, When we lived in Coventry, uh, we had quite a lot of freshers joining us as a church, and we'd invited them uh, to our student house just to get to to know them. So there was probably about uh, 15 to 20 people in our student house, and we were just uh, chatting together. 
I looked down and saw the newspaper on the floor, the local newspaper, and saw a picture on it which resembled one of the freshers. So I picked it up, and as the room went quiet, I went, look, Tim, it's you. Um, And I failed to see why everyone had this nervous giggling going on until I looked back again at the headline, which said, Serial Rapist Loose in Coventry. (laughs) So I I don't do very well uh, with these sort of things. Fortunately, Tim is a very forgiving man, um, and we're still friends, and he invited me to his wedding. Um, But I'm very, very good at making a complete mess up of things and getting myself into trouble. So I'm I'm quite aware of what it's like to feel ashamed. Um, Another form of being ashamed is to be ashamed of something that we're connected with. Um, As many of you know, I'm a Cardiff City and Wales fan. Here we go. Um, In the course of nine days, I endured two contrasting results that affected my emotions. (laughs) On the 2nd of September, Cardiff lined up against a team that Nigel refers to as the Mighty Wolves. (laughs) However, Cardiff was the mightier team on the day, and we beat them 3-1. Much to my pleasure and Nigel's disappointment. He hung his head in shame about this result, whereas I I don't think I was too bad at gloating, but uh, I was quite happy about it. This is my public gloat instead. Um, However, nine days later, Wales took on Serbia in the World Cup qualifiers. Although we'd endured a rocky time in the past 12 months, if I'm honest, I expected possibly a draw but hoped for a win. So to my surprise, I looked at the results and saw Serbia 6, Wales 1. It was a night that many Welsh fans have referred to as making them feeling ashamed to be Welsh. So as a Welshman, I know what it's like to feel ashamed. (laughs) When I searched for the term ashamed on the internet, it brought me to a website which was for embarrassed people to share their stories. Why would embarrassed people want to share their stories? It's a bit like the embarrassing bodies thing, isn't it? Um, So these are are the titles of some of those stories. I feel so insecure. How I've ruined the only thing I've ever been good at. How could I ever? Being a failure. Is this the end of the world? I hate myself. 90% of those were written by Wales rugby fans and football fans. Um, When I looked at that website, I have to say it's not perhaps the most encouraging website I've looked at in my history. Um, But what it did is it helped me to realise the huge effects that being ashamed has on us. Uh, These are people who are just crushed by something that had happened in their lives. So where does this sense of being ashamed come from? Um, I thought it would be a good idea to look at the Bible as I was doing a sermon. So I found uh, the account about Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3. (coughs) Before the fall, they were naked and were not ashamed. When they ate of the fruits and sinned, they became aware of the nakedness and covered themselves up and then hid from God. Feeling ashamed is a consequence of sin and the fall. The feeling of shame is synonymous with sin and guilt. We are embarrassed about our state, our failure, and how others may perceive us. So how is being ashamed connected with the gospel? We talked earlier about the gospel being good news. And it's good news because Jesus has removed our shame from us. The Bible tells us that we all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong that we're not proud of. 
and none of us match up to God. He is perfect in every way. Just as we saw with Adam and Eve, as they became aware of who God is and who they were, they hid from his presence. They realized that they couldn't stand before him in their current state. And so it is with us. Our sins, our failures, and our guilt mean that we're aware of who we are and can't stand in God's presence. And many of us can probably sympathize with some of the titles of those stories. I feel so insecure. How could I ever? Being a failure, I hate myself. Our sin, our guilt, our shame separated us from God. And the Bible says that the wages for sin is death. And that means that we deserve death for our sin. When we're in the midst of what we've done, we may have acknowledged this, and we may even thought that death would be better than living with this guilt. As I was preparing for the sermon, um, I actually felt that there was at least one person here today who's stuck in that state. Um, You currently feel wracked with guilt and shame and feel that death would be better than living with the shame that you're currently experiencing. And I believe that God wants to set you free from that this morning. Um, there'll be an opportunity um, at the end of this sermon for you to respond to that. Um, but please continue to listen as I believe that God wants to set you free this morning. The gospel tells us of one who comes to pay the price for us. It tells us that God became man and dwelt among us. Jesus was fully man and fully God and lived among the daily temptations that you and I endure. However, he didn't succumb to any of them. He took on himself all of our sin, shame and guilt. And he died on a cross as a sacrifice for us. As Nigel said earlier, he took on himself our filthy rags and clothed himself in those and gave us clean royal robes and clothed us in him. He was raised from the dead and defeated sin and death so that we may live close to him. What we have to do is to acknowledge our sinful state, acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, and make a decision to turn from our old ways and follow Jesus. That is the gospel. This is the wonderful good news that we've been exploring over the last few weeks. So the question then is if this is such good news, why is Paul telling us in Romans not to be ashamed of the gospel? It's great news. We've actually been set free from shame and guilt. So why would we be ashamed of the gospel? If we're honest, we've all been ashamed at one time or another of the gospel. Um, When I became a Christian, I was nine years old, and I lived quite a different life from the people around me. Um, I stood out at times because of being a Christian. When I was a kid, I was bullied a lot at school for who I was. This is me. Um, So you can probably see why I was bullied. Um, Not only did I have the sensible right to left uh, parting, but I had glasses the size of my face. Um, I also didn't have good dress sense, so I had a pretty bad dress sense looking at that shirt. Um, And as you can see from the football, I was a Manchester United fan. I saw the error of my ways in those times. Um, But I was mocked quite a lot. Um, So I was mocked for how I looked, and I was mocked for being a Christian. Um, Kids would tell me that I was an idiot for being a Christian, and would actually mock me for going to church. Uh, They used to push me around in the schoolyard, uh, trying to get me to be angry. They'd try to get me to swear at them. 
Uh, and there were times during my adolescence where they offered me alcohol and drugs in order to, to try and change me. Um, and when I, I would make mistakes uh, that they would see, they would uh, publicly mock me for that and say, that wasn't very Christian of you, was it? Um, call yourself a Christian. So I got mocked quite a lot as a, as a kid for being a Christian. And when I was growing up in Abergavenny, uh, there was something called March for Jesus. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you had those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the churches would gather together on Good Friday and parade through the town centre with huge signs. Uh, a lot of those would say things like, Jesus loves you, uh, which is true. Uh, but I didn't want to carry one of those. Uh, and we would walk along singing Graham Kendrick songs about Jesus. Uh, my personal favourite, uh, to put a cringe on my face, was Make Way. Make Way for the King of Kings. For the King of Kings. Make Way. Make Way. And let his kingdom in. If you haven't guessed, the high-pitched one is where the ladies are to sing. Um, but I would always try and make an excuse uh, to my parents as, as to why I couldn't go and join them. Um, I really didn't want to walk around town carrying a banner and singing Graham, uh, Graham Kendrick songs. If they were Fat Fish songs, perhaps, I don't know. Um, I, I was really ashamed. I didn't want to be a part of it. On the occasions that my parents used to drag me along to it, I would hide right in the midst of people so that I couldn't be seen by any of my friends who were shopping. Um, there were other instances growing up where I felt ashamed as well. So um, there was a time during the 90s when the X-Files were on where um, I actually purchased for myself a hoodie that was black and had a green cross on it. So, you know, the, the X-Files cross that they had, uh, the X that went like that that was in green, I had that, but there's a cross going across there with uh, the truth is in here, which sounds really cool. Um, however, I would feel proud wearing that when I was around my Christian friends and going along to any Christian youth event, but I wouldn't wear it when I was around my non-Christian friends because I didn't want to be mocked. Uh, similarly to that, I used to walk to church every Sunday with my family, and there could be a real possibility that I might bump into someone that I knew. So what I did, because I didn't want uh, to look like a nerd with my Bible underneath my arm, I would look for a cover which made it look like anything else but a Bible. Um, and eventually, I got over it by getting myself a tiny Bible that I could put in my back pocket so that I could avoid all of that. Um, and then I, I remember also trying to make new friends, and I thought, how am I going to do this? Do I go, hi, I'm Rupert, I'm a Christian? Or do I wait until later on? How do I bring in that I'm a Christian without being mocked by them? Um, and then there were other times that as a church, we might be putting on an evangelistic event. We heard about that earlier. And we were all encouraged to go and invite people to the evangelistic event that was going on. Uh, we'd all be encouraged to take away leaflets and to share uh, that with all of our friends and invite as many people as possible to come along. I would actually try and avoid being given a leaflet so that I didn't have to give it out to anyone. Or I'd make up excuses as to why I couldn't do it. Um, if I had no uh, choice but was given something to give out to people, I'd go up to my friends and say, uh, we've got an event coming up. Uh, you, you probably won't want to come to it. It's fine if you don't. I know you're really busy. You've probably got things to do. Here it is. Oh, you don't want to come to it anyway. Anyway, how wolves? So I'd tend to fumble it if I even got that far. 
But I'm sure that you're all better than me, aren't you? And no one has ever felt embarrassed about any of those things or ashamed of sharing the gospel. Am I right? Um, so. <laughs> we'll take the picture of me off. Um, so why do we feel ashamed of the gospel then? We saw earlier in our definition of ashamed that ashamed has two parts. The first is to do with sin, and actually it's right that we feel shame for our guilt because it points us to repentance. But the second definition is about fear and about experiencing humiliation because we're part of something. We feel ashamed because of the fear of possible repercussions of sharing the gospel with others. In many ways, we're actually being biblical in our fear. Um, we're, we're told that when we share the gospel, not everyone will think that it's great news. So we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the words of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what we're preaching will actually be seeming like foolishness to those people that we're preaching it to. So it is foolish to some who are perishing. They don't get it. They think it's too simple. People want to get themselves out of their own trouble. And the gospel is contrary to their instinct. What, what are they adding to this? This is a free gift. And it, it seems folly to people. The second one is that the gospel is the stench of death. Seems like a great title, doesn't it? Um, in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, we're told that we are the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. The stench of death is not appealing and we have it because we have the aroma of Christ. To those who are perishing, we remind them of their impending destruction. And that's quite likely to evoke an unfavorable response from them. <laughs> if I was to come in smelling of death, I'm sure that you wouldn't want to be with me at all. <laughs> and I'm sure Flew wouldn't want to hug me. Um, the third one is that people will hate us because of the gospel. Jesus tells us this. He says in John 16, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So, why on earth would we want to share the gospel if it's foolish, is the stench of death, and people will hate us because of it? I don't know. No, I do have an answer, don't worry. Um, The reasons, there are a few, so it's good. They outnumber the, the weaknesses. The first reason 
is that this is about the good news of a person. This is about Jesus. Jesus tells us in Mark 8 that whoever is ashamed of him and of his words, he will also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The gospel is not just good news about a holiday, it's good news about a person, good news about Jesus and what he's done for us. Um, I'm going to quote a book which uh, we were given recently, uh, which is close to the heart of the Harmons, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a deeply theological book. I would recommend having a look at it. Uh, It says the following. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. That is the gospel. It's good news about Jesus coming to rescue us. We've got good news. It's about him laying aside the majesty of heaven to dwell among his people and to rescue them and to bring them close to him, as Nigel preached about last week. This is incredible news, and it's worth declaring that good news to people. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are someone who represents someone to something else. We're to represent Jesus and to tell others of what he has done and of the relationship that they can too have with him. I want to suggest, actually, that if we are reluctant to share the gospel, we may not have actually grasped the wonder of the gospel. When we hear good news, we want to declare it to other people. We want to let other people know about it. Another reason for sharing the gospel is because it is the power of God for salvation. We saw in 2 Corinthians that we are the fragrance of death to some. However, it says that uh, we're also the fragrance of life to others. I think that's an incredible uh, imagery, that we are the fragrance of life to some people. Yes, we might be the stench of of death to some, and people like AJ, their, their feet might stink as well. But we are also the fragrance of life to some. I think that's an incredible term. You will be the fragrance of life. We may be rejected by some people, but won't it be worth it all if one comes and turns to Jesus? So what I'm saying is that this rejection and mocking is worth it when people turn to Jesus. Heaven rejoices over one person being saved. And I know that I'll party when I see someone saved. Our passage in Romans tells us why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The righteous shall live by faith. We've got something incredible to share with the world. This is fantastic news. It's powerful. It's got the power to save. It's not just some empty words. There's power and there's life in the words that we are sharing with people. We've got an amazing privilege. As we open our mouths and as we share this uh, good news with people, God does a work. God works in people as we share with them. And I just think that's incredible that we get caught up into this partnership. We speak, he works. I find that incredible, and that's something that I want to be part of. Thirdly, 
Anyone know that couple? <laughs> I am probably going to have to run after I've shared this. I don't know if any of you have been watching Tim and Rachel's Facebook statuses over the past week. Has anyone seen those this week? Uh, they go something like this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't put them. Dad, why am I getting <laughs> you, you, Look, you shouldn't... I didn't realise that you'd done it. <laughs> exactly, that, that was my thoughts on it. I did check it with Flynn. She said it was fine as well. Yeah. They, they want to say these things and tell the world. Exactly. Facebook isn't private. It's, it's for the world to see, isn't it? Thank you, Nigel. We'll just continue this if you want. So Tim's status last Saturday, Nigel, last Saturday, so a week yesterday, was having coffee with my beautiful girl. Oh, I think that was Rachel. <laughs> I think so. Was it me? No. And then Rachel's status on Thursday went something like this. So looking forward to leaving work and seeing my husband. 30 minutes and counting. I will share that with a boss. Yesterday, Tim wrote on Rachel's wall, so looking forward to seeing my wonderful wife tomorrow. Big smiley face. To which Rachel replied, can't wait either. <laughs> I know. Isn't it sweet? You did. You did. It's there. <laughs> Trust me, I checked, Rachel. Uh, today's one is just that Tim's looking forward to coming back home. Uh, it's, he's wanting the train to go as fast as it can. So Tim and Rachel, sorry, everyone else is here, I didn't realise that. <laughs> Tim and Rachel are newlyweds, um, and they're bursting about being married to each other. They're bursting with the joy of being married, and they want to tell the world about it. Sometimes they forget the world is watching. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think that that can be um, something that is stirring for us. It can be a provocation to us. As we look at it, we go, oh, isn't that gooey? But actually, we should be the same about Jesus. What happened to our first love? There was a time that Jesus captivated our hearts, and we wanted to tell the whole world about him. What happened to us? Have we grown stale of the gospel? Is the gospel still good news to us? If it's not... We need to recapture the wonder of the gospel. We need to become captivated by Jesus again. Sorry, Rach, Tim can get me back with his sermon. So, how else can we stop ourselves from being ashamed of the gospel? I want to suggest that we can look at the company that we share with as being despised and shamed and rejected. Firstly, we can look at Jesus. He was persecuted. He was beaten, he was despised, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was flogged, and he was killed on a cross. So he knows what it's like. Stephen was stoned to death by an angry mob. I don't think any of us have had that quite so far. Otherwise you wouldn't be here, actually, because you'd be dead. That went without saying, didn't it? The dis- <laughs> See what I mean? I don't think of what's coming out. <laughs> the disciples were arrested and beaten on numerous occasions. And Paul describes his own sufferings in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this of himself. In far more labours, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. This guy doesn't have good luck, does he? A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. These guys knew what it was like to be persecuted and to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So how do they deal with it? They looked at the bigger picture. And we talked about that earlier. As we were singing, we, we were saying, uh, there is a day. We need to look at the bigger picture as they looked at the bigger picture. They realized that what they were facing was only temporary. And that what they were suffering was worth it for the reward that it would bring. Paul says this in Philippians 3. And bear in mind what he's gone through. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God (coughs) that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is that ultimately Jesus is worth it. I know that looks cheesy, but it's true. Jesus is worth it. All the sufferings that Paul has endured, the lashings, the beatings, the imprisonments and the shipwrecks, it's all worth it because he has gained Christ. What more can we want? If we've got Christ, we've got everything that we need. I want to ask you, is Jesus worth it for you? Are you willing to suffer shame because of him? Is he worth it to you? Paul is so captivated by Jesus that he lives his life as an expression of the gratitude that he has for the righteousness he's received from Christ. He has one boast, and that is Christ Jesus. He wants the world to know about that good news. Will this become our boast? Will Jesus become our boast? Next, we look at how Jesus suffered and, and what he did about it. He, was, he had his name slurred, he was mocked, he was despised, and he was persecuted. And then in Hebrews 12, we find the following. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked at the bigger picture, and John Piper explains this a bit better than I could. He says, Jesus despised the shame. What does that mean? It means that when shame began to threaten his heart and to tempt him to abandon a clear and obedient witness to God and to the gospel, he said to shame, shame, I despise you. I will not yield to you. I will not give to you any satisfaction. You may do with me whatever you please in the short run, but I will not obey or follow you or give in to you. I despise you, shame. 
and will not let you rule in me. He set his heart not on the supports of the present, but on the joy of the future, where very soon he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Though he was being shamed, Jesus was not ashamed of his God and Father. Why? Because God had power to save him from death and to give him all satisfying glory at his right hand forever. Ultimately, we need to cap, capture, sorry, capture a glimpse of that bigger picture that Jesus caught. We need to see him and to be captivated with him. We may well endure suffering and persecution and mocking, but the gospel is worth it. When we look at the prize that he has given us, everything is worth it. Psalm 34 verse 5 says this, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. If you look to him, if you're captivated with him, you will never be ashamed. So what's our response to all of this then? Well, the first one is that I want to encourage us to be more captivated with Jesus. Spurgeon said this, I will not believe that you have tasted the honey of the gospel if you eat it all by yourself. I'll repeat that again. I will not believe that you have tasted the honey of the gospel if you eat it all by yourself. The gospel is so good that we must share it with others. If we're not sharing it with others, we need to go back and look at the gospel and be changed. Go back, be captivated with Jesus. As we're captivated with the wonderful good news, we will want to share it. This is something that is far too good to be kept to ourselves. What if you feel nervous? What if you want to share this good news, but you bottle it and you think, I can't share it. I'm so nervous. Who am I to do this? You're not left alone. Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit for us to be filled with boldness to share this good news. Uh, We find that even as we look at the life of the disciples, we find people who were quivering wrecks of people who suddenly stood up and preached boldly. This is the difference that the Spirit makes. All you need to do is to be asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will have boldness to share this good news. I've got a practical application. Tell people. Our vision is to be a church where people come in, find Jesus, go out, tell others. This is an essential part of who we are. As Spurgeon said uh, with that quote, the gospel is too good to keep to ourselves. We don't want to be a church that come in, look at Jesus and get caught up with him and then do nothing about it. We need to go and tell other people about him. So... There's a very, very practical way of doing this. Um, We've got on the 7th of October an evangelistic event. Please don't be like I used to be, uh, where I'd squirm when I saw leaflets to hand out. Um, What we've got is that Mark Ritchie uh, is is quite a funny guy, uh, but quite an anointed guy as well. Um, And he's coming in order to preach uh, the gospel He's carrying the, uh, the cross along Britain. 
um, and he's here on the 7th of October to, to share the good news with people. So he'll be uh, doing some funny stories leading up to sharing the gospel with people. Uh, this is something that, that God has spoken to us about. We're expecting salvation. As we have looked here, um, actually, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We're expecting that as Mark Ritchie preaches, that people will be saved. Um, so we have got a privilege here. We've got an opportunity to go and tell people about Jesus. And what I want us to do is, can the bands come forward? And we're just going to, to sing a song to close together. But I've got these leaflets in my hand. Uh, what I want you to do is, I don't want people just to, to uh, react because you feel you have to, but I want you to, to think about one person that you will put this in their hand. Just one person that you will invite to this event. Uh, once you've decided on that person, come forward and take one of these out of my hand and then put it into their hand this week. So we're, we're going to sing the song a moment. Can we just stand, please? I'll just pray for us a moment. Lord, I want to thank you for the wonder of the gospel. Lord, the gospel is such good news. Lord, the gospel is the best news throughout the whole universe. Lord, it is the best news ever. Lord, and I thank you that you opened our eyes to that good news. Lord, there was a time that someone spoke to us with the gospel. There was a time that someone faced um, all, of the, all of the shame and faced the, the possibility of being rejected and shared the gospel with us, and we responded to that. Lord, I want to pray that you would come and that you'd fill us with boldness to be able to share the gospel with people. I pray that we get captivated with you, Jesus, captivated with the wonder of the gospel. I pray that we would be like Spurgeon said, that we would find that the gospel is too good to keep to ourselves. Lord, I pray for many opportunities, even in this week, to share the gospel with people. Lord, we do pray for that event uh, on the 7th of October. We pray that many people would come, many people would share the gospel, and many would respond and be saved and added, Lord. Amen.